Well, as we get into the message, I just want to make one observation. Isn't it wonderful when a young man is filled with the Spirit and anointed, as Bentley is, to pray a prayer that helps us see the unseen? I mean, that prayer just, I was in the heavenlies, and um, I believe the Spirit of the Lord was just upon him to, to just help us see, knock the cobwebs out, kind of like that video we just saw with Reclaim, where, where you know, the enemy just wants to blind us to these things. He is, he blinds people. That is one of the things that the enemy does. God reveals things, Satan hides things. God brings light, Satan brings darkness, confusion. God draws us together, Satan separates us. If you ever have a, a question of whether, do I, should I go to that? You know, I'm not feeling it. Just mark it down. That's probably not God. God always draws his people together to bless them. Now, when God wants to curse his people and judge them, he separates them. But we're not a cursed or, or judged people because Christ took our curse and our judgment. We're a blessed people in Christ. And he draws us. He draws us. So, Bentley, thank you for drawing us to see the unseen. It so easily fades from my view, buddy, because the scene tends to dominate it. Well, on that note, Acts 1. Let's keep looking at the unseen, guys. Get your glasses on, your, your gospel glasses on. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 26. The title of the message is Waiting for God's Promise. Waiting for God's Promise. And so Acts 1, 12 to 26 describes a group of people that are waiting for God's promise. Well, let's listen to what this text has to tell us about waiting for God's promise. Acts 1, 12. Then, when they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand, by the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, speaking of Judas, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akaldema, that is, field of blood. For it is written, now back, that was sort of an editorial comment by Luke, now back to Peter's speech, verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his place. So, 
One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas. Now, they're going to give you two more names for Joseph, okay? Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. So the guy had three names, but it's one guy. All right, so you've got that. Joseph, who has all these names, and Matthias, verse 24. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, amazing prayer here in verse 24. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Lord, I'm asking you to give me not only grace to preach, but joy to preach, and a mind that remembers what you want me to preach, and articulates it the way you want me to articulate it. Mostly, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you just afresh fill us with your spirit, both to preach and to listen. And build your church. Keep your people. Strengthen us. Encourage us, I pray. Correct us where we need that. Fill us now with your power. In Jesus' name, amen. I am not good at waiting. That may shock a few of you. This is something that came, became very clear to me about a week and a half ago when I was at the Apple store in Aventura and I found myself waiting for something longer than I thought I should wait for it. And as that time increased and I became more and more impatient, I began to let people know that I was waiting for this much longer than I should have been waiting for it. Now, mind you, I did not curse, which is growth. And I did not, I, I did not yell which is growth. But I was intense. And right as I was being my most intense with this one gentleman named Adam, and there was other people around him, my good friend David Lindemann walked up, who's a member of this church, who happens to be work at, at Apple. And you know, he walked up at that moment when everybody's face is just like, like I, mean, I mean, I'm like, and they're like, you know, and he just walks up and he goes, you know, David, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and I just turned to David, I'm, flood of emotions. Oh, man, I got caught. (laughs) And I just said, it's a long story. Turned around and I left. (laughs) I dare say we're a culture that doesn't wait, because sadly, I wasn't the only person at Apple with that kind of attitude. It was happening all along the counter. And if you've ever driven in Miami, you know that most people don't like to wait. The thing is, God specializes in waiting and telling his people to wait. And that's what this message is about this morning. It's about disciples who were told to wait. Well, look at Acts 1-4, a couple of verses before what we read. Acts 1-4 
And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. And so that's exactly what they're doing in verses 12 to 26, our text this morning. They're simply waiting for the promise of the Father, which we know is the Holy Spirit that is to be poured out upon them. They're they're waiting for this power that they'll receive when the Spirit comes upon them to be witnesses of Christ. Because Jesus told them to wait, and he told them all these things would happen. Now, let me just say something briefly. The promise of the Spirit in this text and the waiting in this text has a unique place in the history of redemption, God's story of salvation, which we cannot simply apply to us 100%, because this was the first time the Spirit would be poured out in just a few days on the day of Pentecost. And they were apostles, these 11 men that are are going to be mentioned here. And there's a uniqueness to what's happening here. But can I say, there's also a commonness to just waiting. And I believe that is what God wants to communicate to us this morning. Wait on my promise. He wants to communicate to people who have been waiting for God's promise. And so the driving question of the text this morning is this. What does waiting for God's promise look like? What does waiting for God's promise look like? Taking into account the uniqueness of the redemptive historical context of our text, the commonness, though, of waiting for a promise from God. What does it look like? What does it look like in your life? Well, first, let's start, what what did it look like in the lives of these disciples in the first century? Now, look at verse 12. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And then verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, if you read Luke 24, verse 53, it tells us that not only did they pray, but they went into the temple and they were praising God all the time. So these guys who just watched Jesus go up into heaven, they turn around and go back to Jerusalem, probably about a half mile, a little more than half mile away. That's a Sabbath day journey, about a kilometer. It's as far as a Jew could walk on the Sabbath. So they're going to go back to Jerusalem. By the way, not an easy place to go back to if you're a a follower of Jesus. Remember, they had just killed him there about 45 days earlier. And they're probably looking for you to kill you. It would have been a lot easier to go any other city in Israel to wait for the promise. Why Jerusalem? Well, why? Because when they looked up at the Savior and they saw him ascend, they believed in him. They trusted him. They, they, they obeyed him because they believed and trusted in him, and they went back to a place that was dangerous and difficult, a place where they were hunted. Part of the reason they go into an upper room and close the door. <laughs> because they trusted him. 
Because they were dependent on him. Because they believed him. They needed him. They knew they needed the power that he told them to wait for. They knew they needed that power to be his witnesses. Amazing stuff he had told them in verse 8. My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You're going to be my witnesses to Israel. And to the end of the earth. They weren't quite sure what that meant, but they kind of remembered Isaiah. Okay, a light to the nations, the Gentiles. And to do all that, they needed power. They were dependent. And so they went back to Jerusalem. What did their waiting look like? Well, the first point. It looked like praying God's word. It looked like praying God's word together. They went back to Jerusalem, and as it says there in verse 14, they prayed together. Look at that. And all these with one accord. Who are the these? The these are the ones mentioned uh, earlier, the 11 apostles. The these are going to include Mary, the mother of Jesus. These women, these wealthy women that probably were with them the entire time Jesus ministered. These women supplied the finances for the ministry. It says the women. In fact, they're the ones who first saw the resurrected Lord 40 some days earlier. And then even Jesus' brothers, the ones who had doubted him so much. Things had changed after they saw their brother raised from the dead and ascend into heaven. So these all together went back in one accord and they prayed and they prayed God's word. How could they be in one accord? Well, friends, the the grounds for their unity was the very command of God that Jesus had given them, the very promises of God that Jesus had given them. But the ground for their unity was also their need. They were desperate. They were dependent. They had this incredible command, this incredible commission. You've heard of the Great Commission? They had received it by this point. And they knew that things were going to be difficult, and they went back because they were dependent on God. They went back and they prayed in one accord because they prayed God's word, which was the word Jesus had taught them. The word Jesus had spent 40 days teaching them. Remember, he taught them from the Old Testament all about himself and how he was the fulfillment of all the promises. So their prayer was based on God's word, God's promise, God's command, and a dependency on God. Their prayers were focused on what they had heard and seen from Jesus. They were simply asking Jesus for what he said would happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. And boy, did they feel weak and they needed power. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Peter had just denied him a month and a half ago. Flat out denied him. The rest of them had run the Bible says one of them ran away naked. He was so scared that when they arrested him, they just, he ran right out of his clothes. They had proven to be cowards, unfaithful, even a tra- traitorous. One of them had actually betrayed him. They felt like the Keystone Cops. Yeah, they felt like the Bad News Bears. They, they felt like whatever dysfunctional group you can name, perhaps the current football team you might root for, They felt like a mess. And they know they needed help. They were weak and they had this great commandment. And so they were united by this great need for God and his blessings to wait for the Spirit. 
You know what united them? Was it, you know what caused them to be dependent? Is to see how big the task was and how small they were. Can you relate to this? <laughs> Whether it's overcoming sin in your own life, seeing your marriage restored, seeing your children come to the Lord, seeing this church grow and have an influence in the city, seeing the kingdom of God come. Where are you, Jesus? Where are you, God? It seems like a wicked world. The seen is gaining and being victorious over the unseen. Task is so big, we are so small. Their waiting was an active waiting in that it prayed God's word in faith, in desperation, in dependence on God. You see, people who depend on God, they love to come together, whether it's a Sunday morning, whether it's a Wednesday night, whether it's just having dinner with someone. They love to come together. And even though it's hard to pray, they want to pray. They see their need to pray. At least they see their need to pray, because we're all deficient in prayer. I understand that. But you know, self-sufficient Christians, self-sufficient Christians, quite frankly, they don't really see a big need to gather with others. Ah, if you can meet a need, great. But they don't really value fellowship. Wednesday night's very optional. Sunday morning, kind of optional. Ah, it's kind of whatever. Self-sufficient Christians don't pray much. They don't value the church. They don't like to wait. Self-sufficient Christians do not like to wait. Actually, frankly, they're a bit independent. They're kind of independent, impatient rascals, aren't we? So what does it look like to wait for God's promises? It looks like to pray together. To pray together out of a dependency for God. To pray together seeing how big the task is and how little we are. Did you know that we're going to have an opportunity to do that as a church this month? That's right. On September 11th, Tuesday, through Friday, September the 14th, we're calling a week of prayer and fasting. And if you've never fasted before, we're going to help you with a a, a link on our Palm Biston form that will give you some information about fasting, going without food, so that you might devote yourself to prayer. And then Wednesday night, September the 12th, at Shula's Hotel, we've rented a room upstairs, and we're going to pray together. Would you come out of a heart of dependency on God and faith in his word? Would you come and pray? Why? Because God has promised us some wonderful things. And I believe this is the key in this message here. What has God promised? Remember, what does it look like to wait for God's promises? I believe that it looks like it's an active prayer of God's word. But I want to drill down a little bit deeper into this first point of praying God's word. We've got to understand, if we're waiting for God's promises, don't you think we should define those promises rightly? Because what happens is, if you wrongly define what God has promised you, then you become upset when he doesn't give you something that you think he promised you, but that he didn't promise you. So if you're waiting for the promise he never promised, then that promise becomes a curse. And you're shaking your fist at God, and you're bad-mouthing God to others. It's called complaining. But he never promised you that. There's a gospel that's out there called the health and wealth gospel. Basically, what it preaches is this. God promises you perfect health, and God promises you great wealth if you have but faith. And if you lack either, then you lack faith. 
That is not biblical. That is not what God promised us. What did he promise us? What did God promise us? He promised us the Spirit. He promised us power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And he promised us the ability to understand his love so that we might share that love with others. He promised to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Oh, this stuff is too good to to pass up the opportunity to read these texts to you. Look at Ephesians 3. It's up on the screen. Just mark it down. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. This is actually a prayer. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. I, I, I encourage you to write this down, this text down, and you make it your prayer. Pray it in the month of September for yourself and others. Listen to this prayer. Here's what God's promised us. For this reason, I, Paul, bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that's what he promised us, not riches on this earth, but riches of his glory, which often are unseen. Unfortunately, so many of us still live with that old adage, show me the money. I want cash. God's saying, No, I've got riches that you cannot see with the natural eyes. And then he opens our eyes. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. Paul is preaching what Peter preached, what the first century apostles heard from the Savior in Acts chapter 1. He's praying the promise of God, strengthen me with your power, God, because I'm weak. Verse 17, now notice what this power of the Spirit does. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Where does the strength come from? It comes into my inner being, not into my biceps. It's okay to have big biceps. Better to have a strong inner being. Better, much better. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, look at this, being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love. If I'm rooted and grounded in love, do whatever you will to me. Take away everything from me. I am rooted and grounded in the love of God. I will not be moved. Verse 18, and may have strength to comprehend. Isn't that funny? Don't you, wouldn't you think that he would have said, may have the intelligence to comprehend? You know, you, you know the bumper sticker, Got Brains? For most of us, the answer is no. But have strength to comprehend. And you mean have intelligence to comprehend. You mean have understanding to comprehend. You mean to have the information to comprehend. No, I don't. I mean to have strength to comprehend. The Spirit comes to give me strength to comprehend. To comprehend what? With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You want to know what God's promised you? Better than all the riches? Better than a spouse? Better than a job that you want? Better than filling this building and having us buy 15 other buildings and 20 five campuses in Miami. You know what's better than all that? And a lot of that's really good stuff. This, the fullness of God. I mean, all the other stuff we'll lose. Trust me. One day, if you are married, your spouse will die. You will die. Churches rise, churches fall. They're great churches that today are just shadows of what they are, or they're close. But this is what God, he promises us himself. And we live in these little worlds. Oh, God, you just didn't give me what I asked for. You promised me. We yank some scripture out of context and yell at God about not giving us what he's promised when that's not what he's promised us. And we miss what he's promised us. 
himself. Now to him, next slide, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. What is the power at work within us? The Spirit of God. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I I love the Reclaim Singles video. It, it, It properly identified who the enemy is. It's Satan, it's the world, and it's our flesh. Look at, look at another promise from God. Here in Ephesians 6, 13 to 21, God promises to protect us and empower us for bold witness in a world that is filled with evil spirits and evil people. And at times, we're evil. And Satan, but he will protect us. Listen to this promise. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, who were, who were just in a very a culture that was filled with santeria, whatever you want to call it, you know, filled with people doing weird things and like weird things happen. And you think, whoa, maybe that's real. Well, of course it's real. But God is bigger than that real evil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given in the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. And with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Now, notice what he's praying. He's not praying for a villa on the Mediterranean. Verse 19, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. The guy's in prison and he's praying for preaching the gospel and he's praying for more boldness to preach even more boldly in prison. (laughs) I'd be praying to get out of prison. (laughs) And God's saying, nope. I've ordained a prison ministry for you, Al. Just pray for boldness. Yes, sir, Lord. You see, the Lord has promised us the power to know his love and then to stand to be bold witnesses of that love in our hearts, in our hearts where Jesus dwells by faith, in our homes, to our children, our spouses, in this church where we desperately need to come together and remind one another like Bentley did in his prayer, look up, see the unseen. And then in our community and in a hostile world filled with devils and spiritual forces arrayed against us, and our Lord, but to pray because we have power, we have hope, we have a future. Listen, one more promise. This is the the core of the message. What has God actually promised us? And then pray it. He's promised us himself. He's promised us, Ephesians 3, he's promised to protect us as we're bold witnesses. And look at this third one, Romans 8. He has promised us to change us into the image of Christ. Because the Bible says, and we sang it, 1 John 4, when he comes, we will see him face to face. We will be like him when we see him as he is. That's a promise. Look at Romans 8, 26 to 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Amen. We don't often. 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart, God is the great heart searcher, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What is the will of God? Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I could pray that. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And because I can pray that, I must realize that his goal is to conform me into the image of Jesus. And oftentimes that goal mitigates against me having the villa on the Mediterranean. Oftentimes that means I have accidents. People sin against me. Things don't go my way. I wait longer than I think I should at Apple. Which, by the way, I didn't. They, they treated me great. I was just being an imp- impatient jerk. But God wanted to confront the impatient jerkness in me and allowed me to experience that. Because his goal is to make me like Jesus, not to make my life comfortable, easy, rich, nice, healthy, tanned, beautiful, whatever. Some of you have built-in tans, but you know what I'm talking about. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is what God has promised us. This is what the Spirit teaches us to pray. These are mature prayers from mature believers who understand the will of God because they understand the word of God. They're praying God's word, not their whims. And they're doing it in the upper room in one accord. Remember that? Verse 14. They were in one accord around God's word, God's promise, God's command, their dependency on God. They're praying it together. They're praying the word. They're united by all these things. They're praying God's promises. And number two, what does waiting for God's promises look like? It it looks like obeying God's word. Obey God's word. Pray God's word so that you might obey God's word. Let's pick it up in verse 15. So, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Now, let me stop there. I want you to remember a few things. Peter is standing up to teach the other apostles, the other 10, and the rest of the 120. Don't you think everybody's thinking the same thing that you should be thinking right now? Uh, The guy that denied Jesus three times is teaching us? Yes, he is. You know why? Because Jesus chose him to be the teacher there. Look quickly at Luke 22, 30. One, I think it is. I think I have a slide. Yeah. This is an incredible passage. Luke 2, 22, 31 to 34. Jesus talking to Peter right before Peter betrays him. On the night that Jesus was was, was crucified, betrayed, and then the next day crucified, he says, Simon, Simon. That's Peter's other name. Everybody's got a couple of names here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Oh, friends, if you don't learn anything, Satan can't do anything unless God allows him. Now, that opens up a whole other way of thinking about why would God allow Satan to do that to me? Well, because God has other goals for you than maybe you have for yourself. 
which opens up a whole other sermon series. But, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I, I, Jesus saying this, I prayed for you. Jesus, the great intercessor, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's what Jesus and Peter is doing. He's standing up a couple of days before Pentecost and strengthening his brothers. Why? Because he thought it was a good idea? No, because God chose him sovereignly. And I love Peter's response. Hey, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death, to infinity and beyond. (laughs) And Jesus just looks at him, amazing, and says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day. In other words, morning won't come until you deny me three times that you know me. But God's choice is bigger than our failings. And God said, you're going to be my spokesman. I'm going to forgive you on that cross for the very betrayal you will do prior. Oh, does that give you hope? How we've betrayed our Savior. And he loves us. Gets us back in the game. Stands us up. Forty-some days later, probably felt like a hypocrite. That's okay. His righteousness is in Christ. And starts teaching. And listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Verse 16. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before him by the mouth of David. Oh, friends, here you have one of the great proofs in scripture of the inspiration of scripture. That scripture... Now, what Peter is saying is the Holy Spirit spoke through David when David penned Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. The Holy Spirit spoke. So what you have here is that here, amongst other places, is the teaching that here we have the very words of God, the inspiration of the Scriptures verbally coming to men. They write it down within their context, within their personalities, but it is God's very word. I invite you to go online and read the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. Forgot the year it was written. Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. This is what we build on. Not my thinking, not your thinking, not our great new ideas and newfangled ways to do things. No, no, no. We build on the Word of God. This is why, friends, we take a year to preach through the book of Acts. Why are we doing that? Why doesn't he do like like little topical series on how to have a great marriage and how to have success at work and buffalo my boss into a new promotion? I mean, why, why, why not things like that? Because here, this word is God's very word. It's sufficient to build his church, to build your life. It's a value of this church. That's why we do what's called expository preaching. We're trying to simply understand what is God, what did he say? in the original audience, the original context, the original author, and then how does that apply to us today? And some days we do a better job of it than others. Pray for us. But that is our intent. It's Scripture that builds the church. But now here's the question. If we're to obey God's Word, how do we do that? How do we obey God's Word? All right, Al, I want to pray God's word. Okay, I think I kind of get that one. I'll pray Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 6 until you tell me of another prayer in Scripture. Actually, I would hope you would go look for other prayers in Scripture and pray them. But how do I obey it? What does that look like? 
All right, so how did Peter obey it? We'll take a look. He proceeds to quote Scripture. Actually, what he does in verse 16 is he says, The Holy Spirit beforehand spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those uh, who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, For he was numbered among us and was allotted his place in this ministry. Now, most probably, Peter's speech stops in verse 17 and picks back up in verse 20. Okay, so probably verses 18 and 19 are Luke trying to explain for the rest of us about Judas. Remember, he's writing this to the early church to encourage them at the risen Savior. So 18 and 19 are simply an, an explanation of Judas. And, and that's all. What, what you have here is what Judas did, how he died. I'm not going to go into all that, but I'm going to jump back down to verse 19. Excuse me, 20. So picking back up what Peter's saying, in 17 he, he ends with this, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now jump down to verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms. So how does Peter obey the Father? Well, the first thing he does is he has to know God's word. He's got to know God's word. Because look, look what he does in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So in verse 20, he quotes two Psalms. Psalm 69, written by David, right? Probably a thousand years earlier, roughly. And Psalm, I believe it's 109. Now, how did Peter know the Psalms 69 and 109, written by David a thousand years earlier, were speaking of Judas. Did he take them out of context? How did he know that? Here's how he knew it. He had just spent 40 days in an intensive Kingdom of God course 101 with the King Jesus. All Peter was doing here was teaching them what Jesus had taught him. Real quickly, look at Luke 24. I think I have that scripture as well. Verses 44 to 49. Luke 24, 44 to 49. And it says here, Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So what's Peter doing? He's saying, look, Judas, because it shook him that Judas betrayed Jesus. You understand that? You got 12 guys, and one of you rats out your leader, and they kill him? People are shaken. Is God in control? What Peter is standing up to do is encourage him and say, even Judas' betrayal was part of God's plan. He's teaching them from the Psalms. It must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. They didn't understand it at that point. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Peter had Jesus in person to teach him. In just a few days, the Spirit will be sent by Jesus, and today we have the Holy Spirit to teach us. You got that? But what we are being taught is what was taught to Peter, the apostolic deposit, the apostolic teaching, 
And what Peter is saying is, listen, guys, we've got to replace Judas. We've got to replace Judas because because Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is ruling the church. Jesus is teaching the church. And now today, we are Jesus' representatives, uniquely so, as apostles on earth. So we have to complete that 12-man team so that Jesus continues to lead the church through us and the apostolic gospel and doctrine that he opened our minds up to, to, to teach in the, the Bible, what they wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's very important for us to replace this guy. By the way, what he did was ordained by God, so don't freak out. I mean, it was ugly. We wouldn't have probably planned the movie that way, but God did. So relax. Tranquilo. God's in control. God is in control. I mean, the guy speaking that denied Jesus three times. He's so in control. He was in control of my denial. And I'm standing here teaching you. That's what he's doing here. He knew God's word. And then, look what else happens. Verse 21. So, so, so God's word is this guy's going to betray Jesus. Don't freak out. God ordained it to happen. That man is still responsible for what he did, by the way. And we've got to replace him. That much they knew from God's word, but the rest they reason from God's word. So how do you obey God's word? You have to know it and then have sanctified thinking about it. How does it apply? So look what they did, verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. That's the key. They knew that because of what Jesus had taught them, but they reasoned from that. This guy has to be a witness of the resurrection because the resurrection is key. It's key to this gospel message. have to be personally commissioned by the Savior and a personal eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. So they put these two guys up, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, now look, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all. That Greek word there is a fancy word, kartargiadnostes. And that means heart knower. He's the heart knower. He's the ultimate heart knower. He knows everybody's heart. And he will pick between these two guys. Verse 25, uh, verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his place. And they cast lots. I'll explain that in a moment. For them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So what did they do? They they took the word that they knew, that Jesus had taught them, and the Psalms, and then they understood what had to happen, and then they they said, okay, now we're going to reason from that. This is how we can apply that here. Point two, and in that second point of reasoning from it, that's what I did with the Apple store. As I got in my car and drove away, the word of God came to me. It wasn't a voice, okay? It's just the word I had stored up in my heart. The word actually I had taught my son the previous night as I had coffee with him by Nova to talk about 11 o'clock at night. Once your kids get like teens, it's all 11 o'clock at night and later, which, you know, for me is a real joy. But (laughs) I, I remember saying, son, the great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then it's just, and what does love look like, Al? So I'm reasoning from Scripture. What does love look like? Oh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. And love is kind. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. And so I reasoned from Scripture, you were an impatient, unkind, rude jerk because you just didn't get your way. Pick up the phone and call Adam. Actually, the first thing I did was texted David and said, I'm so sorry, David, that your pastor uh, put you in a place where everybody's going, what's wrong with him? (laughs) He said, don't worry about it, Al. And then I said, and I'm going to call Adam. He said, great. So I called Adam. Like, it wasn't in the word, call Adam, okay? (laughs) But it was in the word, love God, love your neighbor. It was in the word, love is not rude and impatient. And I reasoned from that. And you know what was so sad, guys? When I call Adam, I had, I bet that by that point I had the, the grace to just say, how are you, buddy? How, how's it been going? Because I know Adam. It's, by the way, it's not Adam Meyer in this church. It's a guy, Adam, at Apple. You know what he told me? That in the eight months since I'd seen him, he'd had a horrible traffic accident and almost died. And that he'd been recovering and he'd just been back to work two weeks. And I went, oh, great, Al. What a selfish guy you are. And I... By God's grace, I think I was able to care for him you know, just on the phone. He seemed very grateful. I think he was shocked that anybody would call back, first of all. And then he, he's not a believer, so I just said, look, I apologize. I was, I was very immature and impatient. Thank you for serving me. I hung up the phone. That's obeying God's word. Now, it's going to be different for each one of us because, you know, it doesn't say to actually do that exact thing. But then look at the third thing obeying God's word is. It's praying and trusting God. That's, that's that last part there. They prayed to Jesus, and they asked him to help him, help them see who it would be, and Jesus, the great heart-knower, said, it's Matthias. So in a sense, Matthias received the direct commission from the Savior because they cast lots. Now, just to put your mind at ease, you really don't see casting lots anymore in the Bible, but they were only going under the truth they had. It was an accepted Old Testament way to discern God's will, casting lots. Now, once the Spirit is given, you don't see it anymore. I don't think we should cast lots today about who should be the the next pastor of Palm Vista, okay? (laughs) I don't know, maybe, no, no. Uh, But it just, okay, they were just, they, they were being biblical, man. They had the truth they had, and they were just going according to the truth they had. So, friends, what does waiting for God's promise look like? I, I believe that these two scriptures help. This one scripture helps us. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And I love the ESV study Bible commentary on Psalm 27, 14. To wait for the Lord is to look to him in dependence and trust, not passivity. This is what enables one to be strong and courageous. So what is waiting on God's promise looks like? Here it is. Waiting on God's promise looks like praying and obeying God's word. Waiting on God's promise looks like praying and obeying, the last slide, God's word. That's what it looks like. This is the key. It's not passive. It's active. It's filled with faith. But you know what? Some of you and some of us, our faith has been hindered by weariness in our waiting. As as we move to a ministry time, I believe the Holy Spirit would have us minister to those of you who are weary in your waiting for God's promise. I believe God wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen your weary hearts. He wants to strengthen those who are weary of waiting on Him and His promises. Now listen, some of you are weary because you simply, you have been 
claiming promises that are not yours. God never spoke them to you, and, and you need to hear from God in a gentle way. I simply did not promise that to you, my son or my daughter. I promised to conform you into the image of Christ, so the very thing you're asking me for, I cannot give you, for it goes against my true will for your life. You need to root your hope in the true promises of God. But others of us, we're weary just because it's taking so long. How long, O oh Lord, will it take? When will they be done with my iMac, my car? And if you can learn it in those small things, my life, my child, my husband, my wife, this church, the sin I'm battling. We get weary. We become hopeless. We cry out, how long, O oh Lord? Well, God wants to strengthen you with His Spirit this morning. God, the Holy Spirit, is here to give you strength to comprehend God's love and to stand fast and have joy and be filled with all the fullness of God as you wait in prayer and obedience to His Word. Holy Spirit is here, here to speak to us through the Word of God to encourage us, to encourage us all to depend on God and come out for prayer to encourage us to obey God's word and pray God's word, his promise to conform you to the image of Christ, his promise to empower you for the gospel mission of proclaiming Jesus boldly. Big prayers, missional prayers. Conquer the world with the gospel prayers, the kind of prayers that Bentley prayed right after worship. Encourages us to align our hearts with God's word, God's will, God's promises, and desperately pray together. So we're going to pray in a moment. I'm going I'm to lead us in prayer. And, and, and as we go to prayer, I want you to know something. That God wants to minister to you personally. By His Holy Spirit, He's a person. And He often does it through song. And there's a song I want us to sing called Out of the Depths. And if you could show this, the words up there for just a moment. And I want you to look at the words of this psalm. This song comes from Psalm 130. And I love this this song because it is a song that describes a weary saint waiting on the Lord. Look at verse 1. Out of the depths, O Lord, I cry to you. When I am tempted to despair, are you tempted to despair? Though I might fail to trust your promises. Yes, we do. You never fail to hear my prayer. And if you judge my sin, I'd never stand again. But I see mercy in your hands in the chorus. So more than watchmen for the morning, I will wait for you, my God. When my fears come with no warning, in your word I'll put my trust. When the harvest time is over and I still see no fruit, I will wait. I will wait for you. Please bow your heads in prayer. Worship team, come up as we're praying. Father, I pray that you would give us now grace and you would pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. I pray that you would give us an anointing that weary hearts would be strengthened, that people that have been tempted to walk away from you because they've believed a promise that you never made or the promise is delaying longer than they desire or the enemy is battering them with lies or their own flesh is speaking to them or the world is mocking them and attacking them at work, at home, wherever. Oh, Father, strengthen your people as Peter stood up to strengthen the disciples on that day in the upper room in the 120 and explained your word and explained your sovereignty. And they cried out and they prayed in unison and they worshiped in the temple. Lord, we're together now on the other side of the promise having been given. The Spirit has been given. He is in us. We cry out. We praise you in the temple, in your place, in the church. Your word has encouraged us. Oh, Spirit of God, come. Fall afresh on us. Fall afresh on those that aren't here this morning. Build your church. The gates of hell not 
prevail against it. Oh God, in Jesus' name.